it is what it is. And uh, I can I can happily say now, like, you know what? I had a good career. I made a lot of good experiences, met a lot of great people, traveled, won fights, and just I, I made a lot of people happy. I made a lot of people proud, and, and I'm proud. And uh, more than anything, you know, like my, my friends and my family are proud, and I guess that's really all that matters. But it's like um, I spoke it into existence. Then I think back like, no, I did it. It was hard work, sacrifice, discipline, commitments, big balls, big falls, bigger ups, good intentions. Take a look in the mirror. I'm proud of who looks back. So I stand tall, lace up my J's, grab my book bag and... All right, everyone, welcome to episode number seven of the Raj and Bubs podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in so far. Like I've been saying, we, we've been loving the feedback. Everyone's had great things to say. and We really uh, are glad to hear that y'all are enjoying it so much. Bubs, how you doing? Happy Monday, y'all. Uh, doing great. It was a solid weekend. Uh, work went well, but really excited about the, the guests we have today. I've been waiting for this episode for quite some time and uh, really excited to dive in deep to this guy's story. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about him now that uh, Bubs has told me about him and kind of what his story's been. So I think he'll be a great guest. Bubs, you want to intro him? Yeah, for sure. So uh, our guest today, first generation, Colombian, Austrian, Swiss, American. Uh, he's a son, a brother, a husband. Uh, also a professional boxer, most recently a union organizer, collegiate football player, hits boxing ring of honor, enshrinee, hey. Mike, Mike Hollywood Jimenez. Welcome to the show. Let's go. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here, man. I'm happy. And <laughs> as you guys can tell, I'm all, uh, I'm all giggly over here. I just, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be a part of this, man. Yeah, it's great. For sure, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, definitely, definitely, man. man. We appreciate you, appreciate you making the time. Uh, I think it's gonna be fun to just unpack your story, man. It's been quite the journey. I've I followed it vicariously on Facebook throughout the whole time, so uh, it'll be cool to chat through things. Yeah, Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. So, Mike, I know, uh, I know, we gave you a little intro there, but tell us a little bit about yourself in a nutshell. We're gonna dive well deep into all this, but give us the high yields. Uh, in a nutshell, I don't know if a nutshell can hold all of it. There's a lot, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, first and foremost, uh, born and raised here in Chicago. Uh, my, uh, my wife's also from here in Chicago. Uh, we have a big family here. Um, I'm a union iron worker, 15 years. Uh, most recently I got bumped into a new position with our international, which is basically uh, more like the business side of things. So I travel around the country, move around Chicago, and uh, speak to a lot of different workers. And uh, I'm a union rep and organizer. And uh, basically, I'm just a union delegate. And then, uh, yeah, I was a professional boxer for over a decade. And uh, things were great. I had an awesome career. Uh, man, there's, I mean, there's a lot just to unpack in that. But yeah, I, uh, the most notable fight that everyone always talks about is the Mayweather-Pacquiao undercard. Um, I think your brother was actually there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, I got to travel the world, meet a lot of great people. I won a few titles, and uh, you know, more than anything, I just wanted to make my friends and family proud and just uh, excited to cheer me on, and we definitely did that. And no, I was say, yeah, most recently, I, uh, I was injured on my job as an iron worker, and uh, I had to stop boxing and also stop uh being an iron worker like on the job 
So that's how I kind of went into like the delegate side of things. And, um, and yeah, man, now I'm just, uh, advising guys at the gym and helping out any way I can. What gym are you at? I'm still working out. And, uh, most of the time I'm at unanimous boxing gym. Yeah. They got one in West Loop on Lake street. And then they got another one in, uh, in Logan square on Milwaukee. Milwaukee F. Yeah. Cool, man. Uh, so, I mean, for the, for the guests or for the audience that doesn't know, uh, Mike and his brother, uh, Mike's brother, Julian, and I go far back to like junior high days. He was one of my closer friends, uh, through junior high, high school and and today. So, uh, it's, I, I've, I've been in bits and pieces of the childhood, uh, childhood story. And I know like we were both in DP displays, uh, but were you born there? What was your childhood like? No, uh, I was born in Chicago. Um, we moved around a little bit as a kid. Originally, my family is from Logan Square. We used to live by Six Corners off of uh, off of Cicero and Drummond. But uh, yeah, and then we moved to Des Plaines. My family had a pretty strong base in Des Plaines for a long time. And then um, when I finally moved out, I moved back to the city. So yeah. So I know Bubs had said uh, you're kind of a mixed first generation background your dad is colombian your mom is austrian and swiss right yeah my my i mean we're we're mutts i mean to be completely yeah. honest we got there's my grandfather was like a little bit of everything man like spaniard italian mexican Damn. uh i don't know he was a bunch of stuff my grandmother was austrian and swiss and uh my grandmother moved to it's crazy so She's yeah, Austrian Swiss. They they lived out in Europe between World War One and World War Two. They moved to Mexico because it was a neutral country, and uh, and they raised all their kids there. And then they moved to Chicago in the '30s when my grandma was like 13. And uh, my grandparents met in Chicago, and yeah, my mom was actually born here in Chicago. My yeah. father is uh, Colombian, born and raised in uh, in Medellin in Colombia, and he came here right after college, lived in New York for a few months, and then moved to Chicago, and my parents met in Chicago, and yeah. Hollywood was born. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Magic happened. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So so tell us a little bit more about your parents uh, and your family. I know you you mentioned already you're a big family guy. Uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more about them. Oh, like I said, my mom's uh, my mom's family. They're all from Logan Square. They uh, they raised hell over in Logan Square for quite some time. Yeah, they uh, they were there for a long time. And uh, yeah, basically, my mom. Uh, I don't exactly remember how my mom and dad met, but they <laughs> met at like some bar or something, or like a bar restaurant type deal, something like that. But I don't, I don't exactly remember how they met. But yeah, my dad was like, early, man, like twenty or something. They got married when uh, my mom was 22 and my dad was 24. And then, yeah, we... Uh, what, what was Logan Square like back then? Because obviously now I, I'm from Chicago myself too. So I know it very recently underwent this huge gentrification process. Yeah, it and is, it's like you know, completely different Logan Square. It is nothing. Uh, it is Logan Square is nothing like what it used to yeah. be. Like. We moved out of there back in the day because it was just too much violence and gangs. and. Got you. Yeah, That's what I was going to ask. Like, what was that like? Like, was it like... A shame, like from a scale of like shameless to like magnificent mile, the Chicago, like where did where was that Logan Square like on the spectrum? 
So I was really young back then, but I mean, my cousins and I, we were all like our best friends. Um, We were always like together, whether our parents were like at work or we were being babysat together. So they try to keep us out of that stuff as as much as possible. And uh, yeah, you know, like you were on your side street and you didn't really leave the side street. Like I said, we were really young at the time. But, uh, but yeah, like we had to move out of there just because it was just too much violence. It was gangs. It was stuff going on everywhere. Like Logan Square was really, really bad back then. And uh, it's funny because when we bought our condo here, uh, we're in Roscoe. So it was like a bit over four years ago. And I told my dad that I got a condo here in Roscoe Village and told him where I bought it. And he's like, what? Like, how could you go back there? Like. I moved you guys out of all that stuff. And yeah. I'm like, let's do it. Backstory to that. I'm kind of going all over the place here. But uh, my father actually got deported when I was 16. So he hasn't seen any of how Chicago is now and since 2001. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he he has no idea what it's like over here. Like, I told him, I was like, Logan Square is big money, dude. Like, yeah. Yeah. So Whole Foods it's all hipsters everywhere and. People want to live there. Like, people want to move to Logan Square now. And he's, like, in shock. And there's, like, I'll FaceTime with him a lot and show him, like, different buildings and where stuff yeah. used to be, you know. And he's just, like, in, in awe. Dude, what, what was that like? I mean, you were 16 at the time, like you said. Like, going through your father figure, your father, your actual father being deported. That was, uh, that, like, when my father got deported, that was the first, like, real significant like heartbreak heartache pain that i've ever felt and i remember thinking i was 16 and i was just like you know it's the saddest day of my life like i'll never forget any of it it was just it was terrible um things happen you know and and you got to kind of like grow through all that and i i was 16 my brother was 13 and my sister was three and uh, my mom um unfortunately wasn't really in the picture at that time she was um gone just gone and uh my dad had been taken away from us so i you know kind of had to be the big man the father figure and and i mean i I was 16 i uh i was not looking to be that you know i was i was out causing trouble we were living with my grandma and like I mean, you can ask this guy, like, my brother and I, like, we kind of had that reputation, you know, like, when other kids from the neighborhood or from the schools were like, oh, we're going to hang out with Mikey and Julian. Yeah. Like, parents were like, you know, they were on notice that they were hanging out with us and, you know, they had to put their guard up real quick. And Yeah. I mean, it, we were just being kids, but at the same time, we didn't really have any of that guidance and uh, that father figure because, I mean, when my dad was here... I was still crazy, but, like, I didn't have him waiting there to kick my ass when I got home. And yeah. uh, eventually, you know, I, I kind of grew up a little bit and uh, just started doing what I had to do to take care of them and uh, kind of try and be that father figure for my brother and my sister. And my brother and I, like, bumped heads for years because, I mean, who am I to tell my younger brother, you know, like, this is what you got to do. You got to get your stuff together. You got to. You yeah. got to work, you, got, you know, kids smoking weed. I mean, like, it, it was, I mean, it was wild back then because we just literally had nobody to tell us anything. It was me trying to talk to him and 
him just putting his guard up. And, yeah, we didn't talk for a long time just because whatever. I mean, we're best friends now. But it was just yeah. it was a real hard time that we had to go through and kind of learn and grow through different situations, whether it was right and wrong, good and bad, you know, getting kicked off sports teams that we really wanted to be on because we were just not being good, um, getting kicked out of different classes, like bad grades. Like we were just, I mean, we were bad. And, um, yeah, like I said, I kind of had to like grow up a little bit. Um, went to college, played football, started working like really young to, uh, kind of just like have some money around. And, um, and then I, like when I got the job as an iron worker, I was, I was 20 years old and then I started fighting as well, but not to like the magnitude that I was doing it as a professional, but like all of that took up all of my time. So the times when I wanted to be hanging out with my friends, running around, getting crazy or, you know, going to the Wendy's that we would all hang out at or chasing girls or whatever. Like a lot of that time was taken up by me working. Like I had an adult job. Like yeah. I was, I was grinding and, uh, yeah. and I miss out on a lot. And that sure. kind of like kind of put me in check and kind of straightened me out a little bit. And, um, were you working while you were in college playing football? Yeah. Yeah. So you were working full time or yeah. as full time as you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, so, I mean, I'd be iron working. I'd show up to, like, football practice, whatever. Like, I'll, my hands were bleeding from, like, working. And I was I was a starting wide receiver on our football team. And I'm, like, catching these balls with, like, bleeding hands. And then I'm just, yeah. like, in class. And I'm, like, sleeping in class. And it was just, like, my 20s, like, I literally, I've slept more in the last, like, two years since I retired than I probably have in my entire 20s. Like, I just, I never slept. Like, I would have to blink for a long time to, like, get some sleep. But, I mean, at the same time, I don't regret any of it. I uh, I wouldn't change any of it for a second because I had some really, really good times. I mean, a lot of good memories. And, uh, I mean, it was crazy. And I wouldn't advise anyone else to take the path that I took. But but we made it out, and, and things are good, and things are better now. And, yeah, it's it's uh, it's good. But times like that kind of teach you, um, just teach you a lot, like, how to be a man teach you a lot of a lot about respect and being uh timely and yeah. being accountable and um yeah like accountable for all your actions and yeah, then man. Uh, I mean, you grew up you grew up in like in a time span that most of us like take 10 to 12 years to figure all that shit out like i you know just got married and like got my shit together and all this stuff and like here you are in college working full times on top of your shit it's crazy. That's such a yeah. it's such a far cry from what us our like our two college experiences were like. We were just like complete shitheads. Like we had no responsibility besides yeah. if we Trust did well me, in I, school, like that was it. I, I wish I wish I could have. Like I, I was a shithead as much as I could have been, but <laughs> yeah, at the same yeah. time, like I wanted to get at least good enough grades to like keep playing football, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, like I said, I mean I missed out on a lot, but I made up for it in a lot of other ways. and uh, no. So you've mentioned, like, I mean, you, you briefly, like, just gloss over all these athletic accomplishments, right? Like, I played college, like, you played college football, you're a professional boxer. Like, these are things that we just, like, are lightly talking about, but those are, like, some hell of an accomplishment, right? Just to do a couple of those things. So, like, sports were a big part of your life. Were there any specific, like, sports heroes that you had growing up? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's funny how you're saying like how I'm like 
lightly just briefing <laughs> briefly talking about it because like looking back now i'm like man that was a lot but like yeah in in the moment like looking back like i just it was just normal for me you know but um but yeah like sports heroes i mean michael jordan obviously walter payton like those are like one and two i was a huge wrestling fan so like all these different wrestlers that i loved those were like some of my sports heroes like when dudes retired i remember i was like crying because i was like so mad he's like you're like fully invested dude. like those yeah, are yeah. so i tell my wife i'm like it's not fake i don't, it's I don't re- care what they it's, yeah, real, it's real to, to you. me yeah, i don't care what they say and uh and yeah and then like as far as boxing like Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, I love watching those guys. And uh, my grandpa kind of got me into boxing. He would always talk about how he was uh, a boxer in the army back in the day when he was younger. Every, like, Saturday night, we'd have all the big pay-per-view fights on at the house. He would always come over. Everyone would be over. You know, whether it was Bernard Hopkins or Del Hoya or Sugar Ray Leonard, Macho. But, um, but, yeah, like, a lot of these type of guys, like, my grandfather, like, loved boxing loved boxing like he was he was hands down probably neck and neck with my mom but those are like my two biggest fans like when i was like kind of going through everything my yeah. grandpa was right there with me a whole the whole stretch of the way and uh yeah like those are just some of my uh sports heroes but i was kind of just like an all-around kind of athlete which i didn't really like sprout into any like like an awesome type of athlete or football player until like a little later because I don't know. I guess I just didn't know what I really wanted to do. Like I was always really good at like capture the flag and cops and robbers and all that stuff and like playground <laughs> football. I was just like smoking everybody, and that was just you know how we did it. And then my brother and I signed up for you know pee wee football, and then we went into high school and stuff. And you know it's it's a shame that we couldn't be a little bit more uh, devoted to it because we were just again not the best students or do, do you remember you know, uh, so. do you remember mighty ducks y'all remi- remind me of the bash brothers oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. what a throwback <laughs> reference yeah man yeah it was that's definitely a good comparison yeah yeah, yeah like when we showed up like people were like oh man shit's about to go down tie up your shoes tighter because you gotta work yeah yeah <laughs> So, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned what you're doing for the union today. Uh, Local 63, shout out. I, I mean, I got to shout out my cousins who are also a part yeah, of that local Iron Man 63. Yeah, yeah I'm mean, probably the only Pandyas in, in the union, so it'll be easy to find them <laughs> if you are ever at for those sure. meetings. Hell yeah. Uh, uh, but how did you get into that? I know it's like such a... There's a lot of room for growth in the union. There's really cool opportunities that come about, but getting into it it's never always a clear path um what was that route for you like what what how did you get into the union and was that always your goal no actually i never really wanted to be an iron worker just because like i had a bunch of uncles and a couple cousins that were all iron workers and uh i kind of just didn't want to like follow in the in these guys like steps i kind of wanted to just like do my own thing man back then i was my mind was just in another place like i just I wanted everything to be done on my own, you know, and, uh, and I was in college and I was taking, uh, classes to be a cop and I took a couple tests for like Mount Prospect and displays at the time. And, um, and I didn't get hired those first two. And then 
they're like, hey, you know, uh, we can get you on permit if you want to, uh, you know, work with the, with the iron workers, see how you like it or whatever. And I got my first check and I was just like, damn, like my friend's parents, some of them don't even make this much money. Like, damn. I was like, let's go. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, <laughs> I got in and I went through the apprenticeship and 15 years later, man, rocking and rolling. That's awesome. Dude, how do you, this is completely well related, but off topic. How do you feel about like anti-union sentiment? Like, obviously, like, it's a divisive thing. Like, I, I was just reading about how Amazon got its first unionized factory, I think, in New York. And, you know, there's this ongoing debate for some of these big companies like that. Like, I'll send you, you guys a link. Yeah. I'll send you guys a link. It's X. So that's, like, exactly what my new job is. So as an organizer, I travel around the country because Chicago is such a strong union town that there's not a lot for me to do here. It's like I literally have to go end to end of the city to go find like non-union stuff but i'll go and meet with non-union workers and it's called bottom-up organizing top down would be me going to the owners and trying to talk to them and 99 percent of the time they're going to tell me to fuck off and uh just tell me <laughs> they don't want to go union because they're making yeah. all the money why would they want to go union bottom down i start with the workers i speak with the workers and a lot of these guys just just don't know like um there's a lot of derogatory terms that in the past we've used for them like rats scabs yeah you know stuff like that and uh we're trying to just like get away from that because now we want to let them know like you know we want you to be a part of us so we're not doing like the whole blow up rats as much and stuff because guys like me can <laughs> yeah. go in and talk to these guys and they just don't know they just don't know about the union um they may have they may be immigrants and may have came from i don't know we'll just use mexico as an example mexico central america somewhere and they're getting paid like pesos on the dollar and then they come here and this company owner's like hey i'll throw you 15 dollars an hour 20 dollars an hour and they think that's great like oh we're rich now and then mm-hmm. i show up and i ask them you know just a handful of questions to try and like kind of do my groundwork you know how much you guys getting paid oh okay really you guys want to get paid more yeah you guys get raises nah man we never had raise oh, okay well you guys got families yeah we got families all right well you guys get insurance you guys you know you guys do anything like that you guys get any type of benefits no we don't get none of that and just like a bunch of questions like that and then i turn around and once i'm done listening to them i'll say listen you know with the union we're not here to like give you a job or anything you guys have a job but we're here to back you and give you representation. On top of that, you guys are getting paid nothing. You guys think you're getting paid, but you're not. And then I show them everything they could be getting and try and like, you know, high point something like, yeah, I got five kids, but you don't have any insurance. Well, with the union, you know, you get insurance, you get these types of things, you get these kind of benefits. Like what if, what if you get hurt in a job today? What's the, what's the owner going to do? Yeah. See ya. You know, like, there's just a lot of things like that that I come around and talk to these guys. Once the owners find out that I'm talking to them, they'll bring in uh, like a, a labor consultant, they call them, or a union buster. Mm-hmm. And that's what Amazon is just like spending so much money on, you know. And they're just, they got like spies in the workplace that like if they even hear you talking about the union, they'll fire you, which is an unfair labor practice. So I go, I went through like a lot of training on all this stuff. And now I just go around and talk to these guys. And I'm just like a good a good people person, you know, I got, I got good social skills and a good talker and I got, you know, I just have a good story and I yeah. can just 
go into a room and talk to these guys and feel them out and you know they may be immigrants and not you know i use my father as an example like hey you know my father was an immigrant he came here he's making money and you know look what happened to him he got he got deported blah 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 but like you guys are here now you guys got to make these good choices for your families and your futures and yeah i go in and talk to all these guys and then when the union busters come in and all the anti-union stuff it's kind of an uphill battle because they're easily shaken like they're easily kind of like scared because they're already like a little nervous to talk to somebody like me so these Mm -hmm. guys just like pump them full of fear you know and most of it's bullshit but they're just pumping them full of fear and uh yeah i'll send you guys a video it's really really good and just uses a lot of examples on just like how it's mainly just bullshit and they're just using fear tactics and you know it it works because they're good at their jobs and they know exactly what to do and these guys get paid so much money so much money like three thousand dollars a day to go talk to these workers so there's a lot that goes into it but yeah it's wild yeah um wanted to step inside the ring now so to say so uh focus on the boxing career but uh i know yeah, you, you mentioned your grandfather's influence uh, and support throughout your boxing career. Um, when did you realize you wanted to be a boxer? Or like, hey, like this is actually something I, I can pursue. Like, instead of me watching these pay-per-view fights every Saturday, I'm going to try to go get on that screen. Um, when did that click for you? Um, I guess when I was done playing football in college, I, I was like, at the time, thought I'm like, oh, I'm in the best shape of my life. I want to do something. And I had a buddy who was at a gym, so I went to the gym and uh, started training with him and his dad. And things kind of just got rolling. And then, like, I remember I had like my first fight, and I, I was just, I was hooked. I was just immediately hooked, and I was like a naturally gifted athlete, so it kind of came to me a little bit quicker. Um, but I definitely had to grow. Like, it's funny looking back at, like, some fights in the beginning. Like, I was like, what was I doing? Like, I was honestly what, learning on the fly. Where yeah. were some of your, like, first fights? Like, was it? Uh, My very like, first I- fight was at the Park Ridge Country Club. Uh, I had a lot of fights at different country clubs um, or different, like, clubs downtown. Like, the uh, the Union League Club. Uh I don't know. There's like a few of those type of places where like we would fight. We'd fight at country clubs outside. Uh, there's this place called the Saber Room, which was like a badass little like hall that I used to fight at all the time. And the amateurs, everybody from displays would come out and pack the place. It was like on 95th Street and uh, Glen Ellen, maybe. Oh man, I don't know. But it was it was just fun. It was just it was just like a blast. And they'd be on like. Wednesday nights and everybody would come out and it was great. But I, I used to fight all over the place in the amateurs, um, Golden Gloves in the uh, at St Andrews Gym uh, out here, right off Addison, just east of uh, Lincoln. Yeah, it was it was cool, man. Amateurs was a lot of fun. It was just fighting like every month and just well, what is I it? fought every month, but yeah, yeah. What what does it take ultimately then to go from amateur to becoming pro? Like you did, like what's the criteria or how's that scale up? So you basically have to show the commission that you are experienced enough and have somewhat of a skill set to go pro. 
it's not as hard as people think to go pro, but like not anybody can just like walk off the street and say they want to go pro. Like you have to at least prove that you have some type of uh, fighting background. Uh, show that you know you you've got some fights and you've been training and you got some skill. Because at the end of the day, like people unfortunately do die and people unfortunately do get like chronic injuries that they're stuck with for the rest of their life, like head injuries speech impediment like all like just crazy stuff nerve injuries like it's it's scary and um yeah you get you basically you just got to be able to show that you have some type of like fighting background you can and you can do your thing and, and they'll approve you and then you got your professional license and you just kind of move um move along the ranks got it what was what was your family's reaction like your your grandpa your mom your siblings hey i'm a professional boxer now well even in the amateurs everybody hated it like you know it's like as as men like if if you or your friends were going to go fight like everyone would be like oh yeah like we're going to go cheer them on or whatever yeah but like the i grew up in a house full of women and like they all hated it like my grandma never one time watched me fight um <laughs> she would just light her candle say her prayers and not one time watch me fight um we we had her watch my one fight because i like dedicated dedicated it to her and uh yeah that was oh man that's tough Which fight was but, that uh, that was when i won the um that was when i won the wbc belt against uh aaron Pryor jr in, in rosemont and the dome Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, so we had her watch it afterwards, but uh, yeah, she never she never came to any of my fights. No, and I, I had some, I had some really big ones, man. Fought at White Sox Stadium, Allstate Arena, yeah. UIC Pavilion. Uh, trying to think around here. I mean, the Horseshoe was awesome. Horseshoe was a blast. Like, I I had most of my fights at the Horseshoe Casino, and that was like so much fun because there'd be like little like tables to gamble at like around the ring and like it was cool man it was awesome they, they really gave you that like vegas fight night feel oh, yeah it was really cool tough. um yeah but I, I got to fight a lot of cool places got to travel around the world and fight at a few places and yeah it was it was cool man yeah damn i wish we knew about that bubs we could have gone to <laughs> yeah, a horseshoe yeah. trip chug, to fight done some gambling that yeah. sounds like a fun night <laughs> yeah what, what was your most memorable of all of these um I mean, the two for me, I hate to always try and, like, say, like, the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. But, I mean, that one was no, great. that's because, awesome. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, I had, you know, I had an extra cornerman. For title fights, you always get an extra cornerman. So, my brother's birthday, Cinco de Mayo. So, I surprised him. And I was like, hey, coming to Vegas for the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight. You're going to be no. in my corner. Yeah, so, <laughs> we were out there. We were in Vegas for, like, 10 days together. Holy shit. And I saw this guy maybe half the time. <laughs> he, like, he had a girlfriend he had some chick that was like doing our laundry like we'd be walking through a casino he'd be like hold on come this come this store real quick and then the manager or somebody would come out who knows but yes yeah, my brother i told you he's fighting on the card i'd like sign some for him and he'd like give him a bag and after like a second or third time i'm like where's my bag like what's in yeah we were just hanging out rubbing shoulders with a bunch of celebrities and stuff and uh getting interviewed by different tv stations radio stations and stuff so it was 
that one was always always really memorable because of that and because I got to share all of them with my brother. And then, um, but for me, like here in Chicago, fighting at White Sox Stadium was like amazing. I it was like I I couldn't even tell. You. I I personally sold like five hundred tickets, and we we had like oh man, I don't even know how many <laughs> hundreds or over a thousand whatever people that were there and it was people were coming out in buses like the whole iron workers were there all of our friends were there like it was amazing uh, so and dumb. uh that was that, a crazy story too because a guy came in like 19 and a half pounds overweight and i had to gain a bunch of weight to actually fight the guy so as impossible as it sounds i had to gain like 10 pounds in an hour and he had to lose Ooh. like three how'd you Wait, do what? that yeah how'd you do that so I don't know if you guys are Sox fans or not, but next time you guys go to Sox games or uh, over there by Sox Park, my buddy's got a badass taco place not far from there on uh, Morgan between 35th and 31st. It's called Martina yeah. Supermarket, and it's just yeah. uh, it's like a little market with a taco stand in the back, and it's like the best. So I went straight there, and his mom just like <laughs> laced me up with like burritos and tacos, and I was trying to eat everything I could until I couldn't anymore. And I showed up like, oh, okay, great. Well, you only gained four pounds. You still got six <laughs> to go. And I'm like, oh, I threw up one time. So I lost a few pounds and then just stuff in my face and drinking everything. And then I stepped on the scale. I made weight and I turned around just like it all just came out. <laughs> I was so sick. It was, oh, that was, that's why it's one of the things that was so memorable. Everything I had to do, but. Went in there, kicked this guy's ass. It was just, it was amazing. And That's then, awesome. um, yeah, and That's then <laughs> the WBC title fight, the second one when I uh, when I beat Pryor Junior. and it was just that's for sure one of my best boxing memories ever. Like I'm crying. Everybody that I know growing up is there. Like the dome was just like. Going off to Richter scale that night, like it was just wild, and then that was like a ho- it's like a homecoming event for you. Yeah, like that that's Dude, what that was. My high school football coaches yeah. were there. Some of the teachers were there. Like cops that used to arrest me were there. Like everybody was there. <laughs> all of our friends. Everybody was there. Our friends, yeah. everyone. It was just it was amazing. Was and that then, a KO win? No, no. Went to decision. No. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, I don't know if the belt helped, but. I met my wife because of a couple pictures that I posted with the belt and stuff. So. <laughs> nice. That, that that got me that got me in, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> She's listening. The bling, there. Yeah, yeah, hear the background. Yeah. <laughs> the bling opened but, up uh, the door for you. <laughs> yeah. No, she didn't even know what the belt was. She had no idea. She thought it was like a WWF like wrestling belt. She, so honestly, the, she thought it was the, a Halloween costume. The belt, yeah, the belt didn't have any type of significance. It was probably just like the actual picture. Yeah, but, but yeah. Um, but so no, that that was the best for sure. That's, Damn, that that's, that's, that sounds amazing, man. Yeah, quite quite the quite the journey there. Um, and, and I mean, you had a lot of success, uh, and, and to get that level of success professionally. I can't even imagine or fathom the, the the training and work you had to put in. That's not really highlighted. So, what what was a normal day training for you in season when you're when you're like prepping for a fight? What did that look like? 
Yeah, you know, people usually just see the fights and uh, they see yeah. what they see on TV and they're like, man, that guy's a really good fighter. But they don't see the two, three months of just every day nonstop, like working out, running, dieting, the mental battles that you got to put yourself through, just so much of it, you know. And uh, for me, you know, I started iron working and boxing at the same time. And uh, so it was just like, fortunately, it was normal for me at the time. And again, like looking back, I'm like, how in God's name did I do that? But I would wake up, I would go running, or I would go to my strength conditioning coach. I would work what all day. What time would that be? I mean, I'd have to be at the job by like 6.45. So I'd wake up probably like 4.30 or something, go run, or do my strength conditioning, and uh, be at the job by 7. And uh, work all day, and then I'd go straight to the gym, Jeez. work out. And then go home and have a few a few hours with the dog and, and then, what yeah, was go your to sleep and what do was it all over again? What's your diet like? Like, what are you eating? Like, are you super conscious of what you're putting into your body? Like, what was that like? Yeah, um, so I was like a bigger, super middleweight for my weight class, and uh, fortunately, I got a nutritionist like the last five years of my career, and she's amazing. Yeah, but like before that, you know, I'm just like oh, I can't drink water because I'm going to put on weight and I'm just like always dehydrated or, you know, I, I have to eat like rabid food, you know. And then I got this nutritionist and she would put me on a whole plan where, you know, I have like goals to meet as I'm like coming down in weight. But um, yeah, like I'd have, for instance, like grains, I would have all healthy grains like quinoa or brown rice, yeah. um, couscous, stuff like that. Um, instead of like regular potatoes, I'd have like sweet potatoes, uh, sometimes I'd have like mostly fish or chicken I'd have like red meat, like maybe once just cause it like takes longer to digest, but I'd have like smaller portions and my stomach would just shrink up and, um, kind of just go about it. And then after yeah. my weigh-ins, I would just like pig out and put on like 20 pounds, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was always a long process and you know, you have to sweat it out and stuff. But thankfully with my nutritionist, like I never had to really like cut weight the day, of my weigh-ins and stuff, I could just comfortably just walk right into it and be okay. So yeah, it was good, man. It was it was uh, awesome. it was tough, yeah. But yeah, I yeah. guess when you kind of like learn the science behind things, it helps out a lot. What's the uh, what's the mental component of that? Like, I guess two parts, like the kind of acute phase leading up to the fight, like a week or the that week, and then like immediately before the fight, like that hour beforehand. Like, what's what's your kind of mental prep? It's a little weird, to be honest. Like me, like some guys, like they look like they're about to walk into the gas chamber and just see you. Yeah. And then there's other guys <laughs> that get all jacked up and they're like pacing back and forth and like sweating. And like if you would have walked into my locker room like before a fight, I'm legit like laying down on the couch, just chilling. Like looks like I'm about to go to sleep or like eating a slice of pizza, just chilling. Like, my brother would walk in sometimes. He's like, dude, like, you're about to fight. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm chill. I don't know. I guess there's, like, different things you go through in life kind of make you react to things, like, differently or whatever. Like, even now, like, I don't know, my emotional r- roller coaster of just on, like, a normal day is I'm always kind of like this. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it helped yeah. before a fight and I didn't get too amped up or whatever, but. Uh, the emotional 
toll that you kind of take like leading up to a fight. Um, kind of tough because I wasn't like a loner, but everything, a lot of things I did were like by myself. Uh, like my running, I'd be by myself unless you know I had a couple of buddies come with me from time to time. But live by myself, you know, I'm like running in the morning by myself. I'm at work all day. You know, not super social, but you're there with people. I'm at the gym working out kind of by yourself. And then afterwards, you know, I'm back home and I'm by myself. And, like, a lot of things kind of, like, play a toll on you. But um, yeah. I'd constantly kind of just, like, run things through my mind, whether it was, like, good or bad. And i like get down on myself sometimes. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough because you have to be able to deal with, like, the humility of things, like, if you win, it's like all the praise. If you lose, sure. it's like, you know, people forget you real quick. Um, and then on top of that, like, people always want to talk shit. You always got haters. Um, and, yep. you know, I, I missed out on a lot because I'd be training, you know, whether it's like family birthday parties or hanging out with friends. And thankfully, you know, all my like really close, close friends were like all my like real true supporters. Um, and not just like people that, you know, I, I didn't really talk to from time to time and they kind of just like fell off. But yeah, you know, you just, you deal with a lot, you know, you know, how, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you deal with the, the losses? Like, how do you, how do you yeah. get over that and get back into the ring? Um, so my first, my first loss, actually, I, uh, I was, I fought Derek Finley. And he beat me, but he popped for a uh, a banned substance. So that one came off the record. But even that one, like, I tried to just kind of, like, play it off. Like, I wasn't down about it, you know? And I was just trying to just, like, hang out with my buddies and just, like, have fun and just kind of, like, keep it off my mind. But, like, my, my second loss, or my first real loss, but it was the second one, was uh, the Jesse Hart fight. And that was uh, on the Mayweather Pacquiao card. And, yeah, I was, yeah. man, I was real upset. I was just, you know, you're in the best shape of your life. You did every single thing right. And then you come in, you still lose. And, you know, you just got to be able to kind of handle that and know that you weren't good enough. You know, the other guy was just better than you that day. And hands down, I mean, he didn't knock me down. He he didn't really hurt me too much. Like, I was, I was really in that fight. But. You know, it's just, it is what it is. And, uh, fortunately we were in Vegas. My brother, (laughs) yeah, my brother and I kind of went out after the fight for a little bit. And, uh, it's funny because my wife worked at this place in Vegas and we were at the place where she was working, but we didn't know each other at the time. Uh, That's Uh, crazy. Yeah. But yeah, we were, we were out and doing whatever, but. I kept, like, bringing up the fight, and my brother was, like, telling me not to, like, worry about it for right now, whatever. And, uh, yeah, it was it was tough. And um, I was talking to my trainers and stuff after the fight, trying to figure out what was the next step. When am I going to get back in the gym? And I got called uh, from my advisor, and he was just, you know, like, hey, uh, we need a training partner down in Australia. Like, you got any felonies? And I was like, no. He's like, all right, we can get you a visa if you want to go. I'm like, yeah, cool. He's like, when? He's like, call him like next week on Thursday. I'm like, damn. So I packed my bags. I went right back to right back to training and 
got right back into it and they gave me an opportunity to fight down there in Australia and I won my first title down there and you gotta gotta just jump back on the horse and kind of just uh keep it off your mind because I mean you can dwell on things all you all you want and uh keep yourself down and you know hang that puddle of misery you know but you just gotta jump back on the horse and just get back out there and it's not the easiest thing to do but you know, gives you some motivation and something else to look forward to and just uh, get back on it. So that's what I did. And, uh, yeah, luckily I got I got blessed with that phone call, went down to Australia and made some friends. And now I've been down there four times. And, yeah. That's dope. That's dope. That reminds me of Kobe Bryant's one of my, like, absolute heroes. I'm sure you see the jersey hanging in the back. But he, he says, I'd rather go 0 for 28 than 0 for 10 because if I go 0 for 10, that means I lost confidence in myself and I stopped shooting. But it kind of like goes back to that mentality of like having the memory of a goldfish, man. Like as soon as, you know, as soon as you're done with something and whatever the outcome is, move on to the next. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm getting ready for that fight in Australia and I'm fighting this hard hitting Argentinian with like one loss. And uh, I was thinking about that fight a little bit, you know, but I was kind of thinking like, don't make the mistakes that I made then. Uh just kind of just get back on it and yeah i mean i'm thinking about it a little bit but at the same time i'm uh just just trying to just get out there and just get another win and get back in the winner's circle because that's really where you want to be and that was also another weird uh kind of mental battle it was my first time really away from home for a long time i was gone for like uh two months and um my sleep schedule was all messed up couldn't lose yep. any weight like I was like 13 pounds I had to lose in the last like 10 days. And these guys like, dude, like you're going to be able to lose the weight. I'm like, yeah. And then I started getting like worried because I, I literally, I couldn't lose any weight. I was homesick. I didn't know anybody. I'm, I had one really good friend down there. And to this day, we're still really good friends. We keep in contact all the time. But um, yeah, you got to kind of deal with that because you have nobody to turn to. Like, you know, I won that fight and I won a big title and it was awesome. And I turn around and there's like nobody, nobody there that I know, you know, except my one buddy that I made. But yeah, yeah you know, and we had went to like a little after party, at like a little pizza place and we're like hanging out. And I'm just kind of just like hanging out in the corner. I don't, I don't know anybody, you know, it was, yeah. it was just, it was a different experience for me, but it was cool. I mean that that makes for those different types of stories and memories and stuff. So, yeah. I know you you had mentioned kind of uh, your career came to an unfortunate end with that career ending injury that you sustained at work. You know, I kind of for for me, I used to play basketball growing up, and then I injured my knee twice, like an ACL injury, and then a meniscus more recently, and I like had to stop playing like even intramurally just because like my knee was not tolerable. It was tough. Like I still like I like for months I would have dreams about playing ball like randomly and shit like that. How did you, how did you deal with yours and how long did it take you to like really get over that? Or even if you're not right now, but describe that. Yeah, it's I mean it's super tough. So I had the injury, and my wife and I kind of had an idea like it was over. She mm-hmm. was basically like you're not going to fight again. Like if you lose your freaking eye, you know, and I was of course trying to hold on to any chance that I had. But once 
things healed up and they can see more. And after a few more surgeries, they can see to the back of the eye. They were like, your nerve is injured. Like you can't get hit anymore. Um, and on top of that, can't be a boxer. And then it's just like, all right, well now you can't be an iron worker anymore either. So both of those things at the same time for me, was just like super tough. Um, you know, it was just, it was, it was a scary time for me because I didn't know where I was going to turn next, what was going to happen. Like, thankfully my, my wife and I were living together or else I was telling, you know, my mom, I'd be like, you know, I, I'd probably have to move back in because I I had to be like laying down for like 90% of the day. Like they let me get up for like 10 minutes every hour to like do something. But I just, I went through a lot of like just dark times because I, we didn't know what was going to happen next. Um, obviously the boxing was over and that was just like super sad for me. Uh, you know, I was just not motivated. You know, I just didn't want to do anything. And my wife would constantly ask me, you know, like, well, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And I would always just tell like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, she's just like, well, what do you mean? You don't know. Like, what are you going to do? You know what? I don't know. I haven't thought about it. I don't want to think about it. I'm like, I was just not in a good place. Like, even think about it, you know, I just, I didn't know. And then the ironworking thing was like up in the air because I couldn't do that. So I had to go to like a few different places to like interview with some people for this new position I got. But even that wasn't like set in stone. So there was a lot to kind of um, digest and a lot to like think about and everything. But thankfully, you know, I'm part of a good union and things worked out and, you know, blessed to be in the position that I'm at. But, you know, things could have went a lot differently, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, as far as the boxing, I had two fights lined up, you know, for like 150 grand. I had some money. I got my wife for engagement ring. And then like a week or two later, the accident happens. And it's like, no more money's coming in. And I'm like, shit, like I got to pay for this wedding. Like, yeah, it, I mean, all that stuff was just, it was just tough, man. And it was just, it was, it was a long 2020 and yeah pretty much up until august 27th of last year when we got married it was just it was tough you know Every, yeah. everything leading up because money and my work situation every, everything was just uh in shambles for a little while and um you know as a man you want to be a provider and you want to be you know all of that sure. and more and yeah it was just it was real tough man but um yeah yeah, even now when I'm in the gym, uh, I just I constantly have that itch. Like I still train like I'm gonna fight, but obviously I know I'm not gonna fight. And uh, just in case anyone's in the gym watching, you know, I still got it. You know, I gotta, I gotta know. let them know. But, but yeah, it's uh, it's tough, man. Um, Was there anyone you turned to, or like any any you know like movie book or anything like that you like kind of turned to or found super helpful during that period? Because I didn't. Re- it's interesting that you point all that out because that was that was so much more than just a career-ending sport injury. Mm-hmm. That was like your livelihood at, in in balance. Yeah, uh, there's actually a lot of like audio books I did like reading. Sometimes like the it gets like a little blurry because my one eye is like trying to focus, and then sometimes it'll like I have to like close my eyes to kind of like reset. There was like a few books, but there was like um, a few of my friends that are athletes I reached out to. Um, well, you guys know Johnny Knox. Um, 
So Johnny Knox mm-hmm. had a career-ending injury, and uh, I reached out to him, and we talked quite a few times um, just about different situations, how he dealt with it as an athlete, how he dealt with it as a man, uh, with his family and his kids and stuff, and just different ways to kind of go about it. Uh, Jerry Azuma is another friend of mine that I would talk to about it because, you know, he didn't like have a career any injury, but he had a few injuries where they were basically like, listen, man, you got like a couple pinched things going on in your neck. You got this and that. Like if you get hit the wrong way or whatever, you could be, I don't know, handicapped to some extent or something. And, uh, you know, I would speak to him about it. I speak to different guys and then, um, just other fighters too, you know, just about stepping away and how that was. And more than not, you know, I just, I would talk to my wife about it too. And we had a few deep talks where uh, it was just, you know, it was just a real emotional time. Um, yeah. Like I, I, a lot of times I even just hated like trying to like talk to her about it. Cause I don't like getting too emotional in front of her, but I'm just yeah. like an emotional guy. And uh, yeah, it's just, it was I was I was just sad, man. It just it sucked because so much I had built up and like this name that I built for myself and this this record that I got and all this money on the line and more experiences that I could have had and titles that I was gonna fight for, all that stuff, you know. And uh, just the rug kind of got swept out from under me, and it was just a long time of just uh, having to digest that and. Now I can kind of talk about it a little bit better and because uh, I know like, hey, it is what it is and uh, I can I can happily say now like, you know what, I had a good career, I made a lot of good experiences, met a lot of great people, traveled, won fights and just I, I made a lot of people happy, I made a lot of people proud and, and I'm proud and uh, more than anything, you know, like my, my friends and my family are proud and I guess that's really all that matters but um just kind of going around to different fights or being in Vegas now for work a lot and going around different boxing gyms and being at different boxing events and guys come up to me and just show me a lot of respect and just uh they're just genuinely like happy to see me and see me doing well and that that goes a long way too because you know it's just like your peers and I guess you know your co-workers other people in the boxing game they kind of see me like that and uh just show me respect and show me love just goes a long way and it speaks volumes for everything that I did in there. So that, that helps too. But, um, yeah, for a long time, it was, it was definitely tough. Speaking with those guys like Johnny Knox, Jerry Zuma, is there anything in particular that like really stood out to you from them in terms of like something they said that really resonated and helped you kind of get over the hump a little bit? Um, kind of, I was saying how like, I don't like being too emotional in front of my wife. Like Johnny Knox specifically told me, you know, he was just like, you got to grieve, man. You know, he's like, if you're going to cry, he's like, just cry. He's like, I went through so many days where I would just cry. Other days you'd be happy and then you cry. He's like, you just got to grieve, you know, and you just got to like kind of let it out when you're feeling it and just pick yourself back up and keep moving on and know that there's more to life and this and that and, yeah, but yeah, I, mean, I know that one always like stuck with me for sure. I- I'm glad you had people to like go to and like talk to because like that's that's some heavy shit you went through, man. Yeah, it was it was definitely tough, and uh, thankfully, you know, I had my my wife here to talk to whenever, and she would kind of have to usually like pry it out of me. But 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you just you got to talk, you know. Yeah. Um, but let yeah, that let tough. that let that stuff out. Yeah, definitely, man. That's why now when I when I have like friends or other people that I know that are kind of like going through stuff, you know, I reach out and just let them know, like, hey, man, you ever need somebody to talk to, somebody to uh, just be there for you or hang out or you need to get out of the house, whatever, like, let me know because it's one of those things where like, you know, you don't, you don't really know how to deal with it or whatever, or know what people are going through until you kind of are directly affected by it. Well, like dealing and navigating all these, like this whole roller coaster, right up and down. Um, was there anything that you took from your parents? Uh, like a biggest lesson you learned from them that you, you plan on sharing with your, your, uh, next generation. Hmm, that's a tough one. Like I said, like my mom wasn't really around too much for certain mm-hmm. parts, but like now my mom is like over the top, like involved with my brother and my sister and I, like anything with like going on with like my wife, like she's always like trying to be like super involved and showing a lot of love any way she can and doing what she can and um and I love that, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a family guy, so that's great. And like my dad, he would uh, tell me like a lot of stuff growing up, you know, but one thing that always sticks with me, you know, especially like that day when he got the port and he was leaving, you know, he was kind of like, you know, there's going to be, there's going to come some times, you know, when you're growing up and he's like, I know you're crazy. He's like, but when your friends and people like tell you to do some stuff, he's like, you don't always got to do it. Like, don't, don't be that guy that always wants to like go out there and do the crazy thing. He's like, cause one day you're really going to be sorry. Like, uh, he's like, don't break my heart and let something happen to you one day. Like, because you're listening to these guys. And that, yeah. that's a lesson that kind of stood with me a long time. Um, I did a lot of crazy stuff, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, here and there that would always kind of ring back around and, um, kind of yeah. just i'd hear i'd save, hear him back there. a little bit yeah. yeah 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 it's interesting it's interesting to hear you talk about your marriage and kind of how you had to learn to open up to your wife and grieve in front of her like mm-hmm. dude same thing with me like certain life moments have happened in my you know i've been married for about a year and um you know relationship for a couple of years before that but that's something i had to learn or unlearn like to be willing to talk about my emotions with my wife yeah. and really let her in what what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from marriage and this relationship you have with your wife so far? Oh man! And, and pretend she's not in the in the same room. Feel no, I don't care. I don't, no, trust me, I don't, no, trust me, I don't care that she's even here. It's fine. Like, I I love talking about my marriage and my wife. I love talking about it. She knows everything I'm going to say, anyways. But like, like no before before my wife like I. It was all about just being like the macho man, the tough guy, the cool guy. Like I had a I had to kinda hold my reputation and kinda keep myself to like that that's mm-hmm. that name, you know. Like I was Hollywood, that meant something, man, you know? And uh, <laughs> and like I was not trying to be with any girl or try to get tied down or anything. Like I met my wife and honestly it was just like a hook just boom and all my friends were like whoa like what's going on and just honestly like i was just like i was like i'm done you guys can just you guys can take it all like i'm done that's it and like honestly we've been 
together ever since. But she's taught me a lot, man. Just like how to be a loving person, how to be affectionate, uh, how to just honestly, how to just slow down and just smell the roses, man. Um, I never used to go on vacations for just, you know, leisurely fun and just go on vacation. It was always for boxing or for some type of business. Like we travel all the time now. We have a lot of fun together. Like I don't have to be with like all my friends all the time, even though I still enjoy that. Like we can just hang out just us two and just, you know, she's like I said, just teaching me just like slow down just smell the roses and just like, there's more to life than just being, go, go, go all the time with the whole boxing thing and everything I had going on at the time. And, and then, yeah, amazing. opening yeah. up and, and talking, which is still a work in progress. She will tell you, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's, yeah, there's a lot of that, that just, uh, I'm still learning every day. You know? <laughs> same. Yeah, I think, I, that, yeah, man. we're, we're all on the same boat with that one where we're still yeah, learning man. every day. Yeah. Yeah. But I enjoy it. It's fun. It's 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 great. I'm having the best time of my life, so it's all right. Uh, that's, that's how it should be, man. Cheers. Happy yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Um, so go uh, continuing on that same path. Um, do you think being a first generation American helped you in your journey, or did it make things harder? Um. So it's tough. Like when I like in the city. Like honestly, I never saw any type of like. And kids don't know that they're being racist, I guess, at the time. But, like, in the city, it's, like, more... There's a, it's more like a melting pot in the city, you know? But then, like, yeah, I, when diverse. I came to Displains, yeah. Uh, you know, like, kids would, like, say some stuff that I would just kind of, like, let roll. But, like, kids are fucking mean, dude. Kids yeah. are mean. I, and, like... I, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I was brown in Displains, too, so I feel you, man. Yeah, I feel that. I was gonna say, yeah, man, yeah. like, I got, I got called some, like, racist ass shit when i was a kid and like yeah dude when i i i mean i don't know if you ever seen pictures of me when i was a kid but i was the i was the smallest kid in the entire neighborhood i had the biggest <laughs> mouth and i was the smallest kid like freshman year <laughs> high school i was five foot nothing 109 pounds i didn't i didn't grow till later but like i was i was small man and like i'd get shit talked to me by a lot of people but i I mean, I'm, I talked it back, you know, we'd get in little scraps here and there, but like, yeah, I, I would say it makes it a little bit tough, you know, because my dad didn't have like the best, uh, jobs, like some of these other people's parents. Um, you kind of get looked at a little bit funny cause my dad is very like ethnic looking, you know, he's like tall, dark Colombian dude, which you don't see all the time. And I'm sure like, you know, you guys kind of, uh, experience that as well. Um, and he just grew up different, you know? Like, I'll never forget one time I got into a fight and I came inside, like, kind of, like, crying or whatever. And he's like, what happened? I was like, oh, you know, this guy kind of got me a little bit, whatever. He's like, well, don't come back inside until you go kick that kid's ass. It's like, what? <laughs> like, who, sa- who says that to their kid? Like, what? Yeah. I mean, there's, like, ethnic parents are just kind of, like, raised a little bit different, you know? And, yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah and um it's kind of hard for them to like relate to you i guess in like different situations or problems that you get as a kid um yeah it was i would say it makes it a little bit more tough definitely uh but at the same time you know they want to see you work hard and they want to see you make something of yourself i think first and foremost uh so that i mean 
I guess that's every parent, but yeah, no, I, I, I would say definitely it makes it harder than, than anything, you know, especially with like a dad looking like mine and like heavy accent and well, yeah, but my dad was the man, so it's all good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's a, something a lot of us as first gens can relate with the fact that, uh, you know, certain things were definitely more challenging growing up, but at the back end of it, I feel like I've gained a lot from it in terms of how to deal with stressful situations. I'm not easily rattled by different things, like managing different personalities or people. All of those things, I feel like having to deal with those growing up mm-hmm. as frequently as we did in some form or another kind of helped how we how we function now. For sure. Yeah, it definitely keeps me more like open and embracing the differences between people that I'm meeting even today as yeah. opposed to like and, and actually taking an interest in like something that I'm not accustomed to. So uh, it's definitely uh, a unique way to be raised here in America in displays because I, like, yeah. I, I know because I'm like envision you're talking about this. I'm like I'm envisioning it in my head because it's like the same stuff. But yeah, uh, totally, totally agree there. Another thing, though, for sure, is, like, parents with, like, a super heavy accent. Like, now, like, later in life, like, I always, like, like, if somebody is, like, talking and they have, like, a pretty heavy accent, like, everyone else is, like, what what they say? I'm, like, oh, they said blah, 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 blah. Like, how do you understand yeah. this guy? Like, 100%. Probably it's because, like, your ears are, like, trained a little bit to kind of, like, listen <laughs> through the all the static of the heavy accents, you know? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess right, you're a little man. bit more patient with people too, because hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, it gives you a lot of patience, definitely. So going back to that closing question that Subruth mentioned, but this is something we ask all our guests, and kind of in respects to their particular background and heritage. So for you, what makes you Hispanic? I mean, besides the blood, uh, I mean, man, <laughs> I'm just I'm happy to be Hispanic. Like uh, the Colombian culture and just all the going back there and seeing all them and uh i just i love it but for me i mean i love the music i love the food i love just telling people that i'm colombian um we got like i said my grandfather's uh mexican spaniard um and yeah i love it because even now it's just like becoming more of like a popular thing with like the music that you hear all the time, like Jay Balvin and Bad Bunny yeah. and Maluma, all these guys that are getting their songs played on the radio. Um, Dude, Bad Bunny dropped a banger of an album. I never thought I could like Hispanic music that much. Yeah. Yeah. Bad Bunny <laughs> and Jay Balvin, they're, they're killing it right now. And uh, yeah, I, I hate that I'm not like a little bit more of like uh, an ethnic Hispanic person. Like, uh, I definitely don't have the dance moves. Uh, <laughs> I speak Spanish very well, but I don't have like the, the heavy accent. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I love it, man. I love telling people from, you know, where my family's from and, and going down there and taking my wife down there to visit. And it's great. I, I mean, I love it. Yeah, I love it. And with this new job that I got, if I couldn't speak Spanish, like there'd be no point of me having this job because a lot of the guys that I go and talk to, are Spanish, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I walk on there and they see me because I could pass for a Spanish guy. I could pass for like an Italian or a Greek guy. Like I got this look where they're just like, huh? And I start speaking in Spanish and they're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So it, it helps out a lot and it's great. Um, but yeah, yeah, I love it. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, 
one of the last things we like to do with all of our guests, like a rapid fire question. So yeah. we'll ask you, we'll ask you a question. First thing that comes to your mind, answer it that way. The last, uh, the last couple one are like fill in the blank. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll say a statement and then you, you fill in the blank. First thing that comes to mind. Yeah, this would be good. All right. So to start Mayweather or Tyson, who do I like more? Yep. Or who wins in a fight? Oh, Tyson. <laughs> Tyson. Football or boxing? Football is my first love, man. Uh, that's tough, but I'd probably say football. Sorry. Okay. So, Brady or Manning? Brady. Love me some Tom Brady. Yes, sir. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Sherry Coke if they got it. <laughs> F- favorite food? Man, I'm a huge foodie. I go through like waves of like pizza, barbecue, tacos. Yeah. Oh man, that's tough. Barbecue. Uh, remember the Titans or Rocky? Rocky. Favorite sports hero? Probably MJ. Nope. Favorite deep dish spot? Gino's East. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cubs or Sox? Sox. Jake Paul is annoying. <laughs> Neil, the last he's one. uh, I, I to break that up. I really respect him for what he's doing. He's bringing a lot of light to uh things that the normal like population of fight fans and media outlets and stuff don't talk about. Like fighters should have a union. They should have insurance. They should have all these things when they retire because they're all fucked up. And and they should. They should get paid more. Um. And, yeah, he's bringing a lot of light to all that and, and stuff. So I respect him for all that. But him as a boxer is annoying. Y- y'all got to link up. I mean, I know a guy that knows how to get the union started. So I feel like that's a match made in heaven for you guys. Yeah, one of my buddies is actually <laughs> their neighbor. Might have to uh, go knock on his door one day. <laughs> yeah, boxing, the first ever boxing union. and You could be the organizer of that. Let's go. Yeah, man. <laughs> Best of both worlds right there for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Mike Hollywood, uh, thank you so much for your time. This was uh, awesome. It was really cool just taking a dive into your story. We appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat with us here. Um, if you're still, uh, if you haven't followed us yet, follow us on Instagram at Raj and Bubs Pod. Our website is therajandbubspod.com. Raj, anything else you'd want to add? No, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, we appreciate all the love. Till next time. Cheers. Hell yeah, man. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir.